Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend of mine asked if I would record myself reading one of my novels as something they would find comforting and familiar in the midst of the uncertainty and anxiety of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll be reading to you from Perishables, the first book in my five-book urban fantasy and vampire series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka FalstaffBooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y, slash Perishables link. That goes to Amazon. Thanks. Okay, well, let's do this. Let's finish up Perishables. At least I think we're going to finish it this time. I think this time when I say that, I really mean it. Sorry about all that. Also, I'm using a new recording device, and fingers crossed that it goes well. It's a little early in the day for me to have my read and wine, so we're all just going to have to cross our fingers and hope we can get through this. I was on my feet without thinking about it. Arms out. Trench cowed out. Let me start again because I can't accept having screwed up that early. I was on my feet without thinking about it. Arms out. Trench coat open. And I roared like I haven't in a lot of years. More years than that since I've done it in front of a crowd. The zombies screeched back in answer. A mass of curdled sound bouncing off all the tile and concrete in a big box like that. One of the zombies near me started ambitiously trying to climb the shelving unit, but he was clumsy and slow at that particular task, and I was fast and very angry. I reached down in a great sweeping arc to snatch him up off the ground in my hands, and then ran down the center of the shelf to slam its forehead against the structural pillar at the other end. Blood spattered thickly in two directions. I dropped him like a sack of potatoes on the floor and turned around to see three more trying to clamber up the shelf. The doors to the storeroom flew open and another 15 or 20 zombies marched out. I do mean marched. They were organized and they were all already looking at me. One mind with 40 or 50 bodies was watching me from all sides and he wanted to make me a part of it. The animal inside tore at the psychological fencing I'd built around it for decades. Neither it nor I wanted all that I am to dissolve away in a solution of them. Whatever sameness infected them could never be allowed to take me. I roared again and ran back down the shelf to bull rush those three climbers back off of it, then take a flying leap across the gap between aisles and land on the next. I was contemplating the options left to me. Kill them all or just keep them busy like this until all that metabolic damage caught up to them like Jennifer thought it might and hope like hell it happened in the seven hours or so I had left before sunrise. When I spun to face the enemy below and found that they were standing stock still, mouths open, but that their collective screech was dying off slowly, one voice at a time, and they were falling passive as it happened. Jennifer stood up in the middle of them. She was staring at her own feet, her hands pressed to her face. My brain was churning as I ran and thoughts started to fall into place. The mass of them produced a mindless syllable, like a cleared throat, and then said as one, testing. Jennifer lifted her head out of her hands and blinked. Her eyes were rolled halfway back, but the rest of them seemed to be under control. My brain churned and smiles whined with confusion. Thoughts started to fall into place in my head. Somehow, phone lady had slipped it off. It was possible for her to recover. 
I thought of Jennifer's sad coda to her own biography, that she needed a reboot, not a rerun. They had been breathing while they listened to us. Whatever they were, they were definitely still alive. Jennifer understood complex systems and the processes they used to make decisions, to answer questions put to them, to take orders. Kathy had tried to explain computer programming to us one time at a board meeting, and I didn't understand a word, except that what mattered the most, for her, was to have the process she was trying to manage carefully outlined and her thoughts ordered before she started typing. She said she'd read a book about artificial intelligence, in which the author had argued that was the trick, figuring out how people order their tasks and decisions, and then reproducing that. They all turned towards me, jerkily, uncertainly, and they all said at once, you need to feed us to fix us. You need to feed all of us, and we need to do this fast. I jumped down into the middle of them, and smiles came after me, both of us ready to start going at them, hammer and tongs, fists and teeth and claws flying. I was so angry and scared that I thought now would be the time to fight. Now would be the time when I could take out enough to make it possible to take out the rest. It would feel so good, too. So free. I hadn't felt that in years, that simple pleasure of letting go and allowing the id to drive for a while. I was ready to stand outside myself for a while and take satisfaction in my performance. They all stepped back, hands up, in a hurry. They, she, whatever, could tell I was ready to brawl. Jennifer dropped the bat on the ground with a clang. No killing. We can do this. The lady with the phone proves it. They weren't purposefully surrounding me at first. But as I hesitated, a couple of them moved to do so. We can fix this together, they said with one voice. We both said it earlier. Neither of us can do this by ourselves. Smiles growled at them, and he and I turned in a slow circle, back to back. My eyes were wide. My chest was quivering as my heart twitched in anticipation of blood and shouting. I licked my lips. In unison, say something, Withrow. Use your brain. Think. Talk to me. It's crazy, I whispered. It's just crazy. There are fifty of you, and you've got her. You think I'm going to hold still and let you bite me? We bit you before, they said. The voices were low, calm, almost conversational, soothing even. I blinked and slapped my hands on my own cheeks. I thought of my warning to Jennifer about what they might do if they're telepathic. What if she were right about how it worked? I had more computing power. Now they had her, and she was a certifiable genius. You weren't harmed then, were you? You won't be harmed now. You can fix this, Withrow. We can walk away from another zombie apocalypse, and this one can have a body count of zero. Smiles, very slowly, stopped turning, and sat. His tongue hung out, and he panted happily. He'd liked Jennifer from the get-go, that was clear, and now he identified her, or them, as her, or her as them and he'd felt the presence of a threat recede. Or they'd done something to his mind with their crazy hive powers. I felt panic start to rise again, and they spoke. We didn't do anything to your dog. He knows we mean you no harm. We swear it, Withrow. We swear it on... They paused for a moment. On the lives and memories of the persons we used to be. I blinked. That was what I'd pitied and respected in her. That ability to sever herself from the person she'd been before. Now she was here, doing this, braver than ever. The life she'd had before was still recent enough to include names she could say and faces she could remember. It was a life she could go back to, or at least build on, in a way I never would. My fists unclenched. The animal inside started to calm. 
My teeth still wouldn't go back in, but for all that I could still feel fear and anger, I also felt a wave of sympathy I hadn't experienced in a lot of years. Jennifer would have made a tremendously dangerous vampire. I couldn't let the fearless human she already was be washed away like this. What if... I cleared my throat. What if one bite didn't hurt me, but twenty do? Or forty-nine? It doesn't stand to reason, they said. On what fucking basis do you say that? Don't yank my chain. They were quiet for a moment. Point taken, but it's the only option we've got. Now, yes, it is, isn't it? But there were other options. You forced my hand. I saved them, and you, and me. We couldn't fight them, and I couldn't watch them die. Neither of us could. I grimaced with young resentment. This is so completely unfair, I muttered. Says the vampire, they replied. I spit at the feet of the nearest one, and smiles growled. Okay, take it easy, they said. Their hands were all up in a common gesture again. Let's just stay rational and work through this. We need to get some of your blood into each of us, and we need to do this before I lose track of one of them and it goes crazy. I blinked. Is it... is it just you in there? No, but I'm the one giving orders. It was just her voice now. And I can't do that forever, so get to it. I ran through scenarios in my head again. Start fighting, run away, all kinds of things. None of them took care of all the things I still had to square away in order to go back to my home and wake up in it tomorrow and have the years and decades roll on ahead of me without a lot of problems. I didn't care about being a hero to these assholes. This random cross-section of every chump and moron who'd been willing to give up time with their families or the game or whatever so they could squat outside a discount store and hope of getting their paws on some precious little thing. And I didn't feel any motivation to be a savior to them or to anyone. We can save them, Withrow, they said together to me. Think how glad their families will be. How would you feel if this happened to your cousin? You mentioned a cousin. There are people you still care about and who care about you. <laughs> My cousin, the one who'd wanted me to get the Blu-ray player tonight, had probably been calling me to no avail the whole time. He would want to know if I'd gotten it, maybe to talk me through hooking it up. Roderick is better in some ways than I am at living in the future. He's also a complete monster. The things I do to get by are survival, mostly. For him, immortality is a game of cow-tipping that will never end. It seems like for him, people are just toys to be played with until they break. I had told myself years ago I'd never be like him, but here I was, thinking of these people like something less than myself. Of course, they were, but maybe that still didn't make it right. I wouldn't feel good about something like this happening to Roderick, but that argument couldn't sway me. <clears throat> Reminded me of the little tragedies and petty crimes that added up to becoming Roderick, however. That gained a foothold in my mind. Withrow, they said, and they sounded worried. Withrow, we need to do this. Now, they are fighting back, and most of them are kind of idiots, but there are a whole lot of them. Sheep or wolves every time, and it's always a toss-up. Very tentatively, ready to pull away and start killing at a moment's notice, I slid the long black coat off my shoulders and held out an arm. Teeth punctured my flesh, and my stale, stagnant blood welled up from the pressure and directly into the mouth of the zombie person who'd bit. It was Jolie, my friend with the cat horden mother. In a long chain of dietary habits found in nature, most predators are also, eventually, the prey. 
For us, that's supposed to be impossible. That's essentially the trade we make, that we're willing to give up everything human to become the next highest thing on the ladder. We give up a lot when we make that deal, but every morning when we climb into the dark place where we sleep instead of walking outside to see one last sunrise, we reaffirm that choice. We make it over again every time we go out, every time we feed, every time we start the work of building our next identity in the world of the living. The last time teeth had punctured my flesh before tonight, they were the fangs of my maker. She had given me the gift of ultimate and eternal self. With painful but surgically precise wounds and an arcane ritual I'd never asked to learn. These teeth were the dull, grinding bones of a mortal, but they worked almost as well. I struggled against it, flinching of course, but though we're extremely strong, much stronger than a human or even several humans, we are not infinitely strong. Two warm hands clutched me from all around to hold me in place. Smiles abruptly howled the longest, highest-pitch bang I had ever heard from him, and some of them swarmed him, though they didn't seem to want to do anything but hold him back. He struggled, but they were strong, and for all that Jennifer claimed to be fighting to maintain control, they were remarkably precise as they balanced force against a clear desire to do no lasting harm. The first one to bite me, though, Jolie, she was frozen again, just like phone lady and helpful kid had been when the gas grenade went off, and in one coughing gush she emptied her stomach at the other's feet, and then collapsed on the ground unconscious. It was like I'd given her a plague feast of her own. The bite wound on my arm healed over in two seconds. We don't stay injured for long. It was one of the hardest moments I'd ever faced, but I kept my cool and drew a long, unsteady breath before slowly looking around at the rest of them. Come on, folks, I said, voice low. Dinner bells are ringing. Another six or seven were on me in a moment, and as one would sicken and peel away, another would immediately take its place like mad piglets on a pale sow. Throughout, I could hear phone lady. She'd made it back to the right part of the store and picked out her television, and now she was leaning on the customer service button, trying to get some help. A cheery voice with a tone carefully modulated to suggest an industrious work ethic and a mountain of submissive goodwill kept announcing, A customer requires assistance in electronics. The more of them that bit me and dropped the slower, the more of them that bit me and dropped, the slower they got, but the easier it seemed to be for Jennifer to control them, so that by the time I'd whittled them down to about two-thirds of their starting numbers, their eyes started rolling back up into their heads. Jennifer's nearly did, but she closed her eyes and clutched the sides of her head, dropping to one knee in the middle of them as though it had gotten difficult again. They kept biting me, but faster, harder, like she was trying to push them through this as rapidly as possible. Another fifteen or so had bitten me, gulped down clotted blood, and then puked it back out when I realized I was starting to run low. I stood away from them and put up my hands. Wait, I said, I'm, I'm running out. I shivered hard. I needed to feed on someone. They paused, and their voices were slurred. Fast. I reached down and picked up one who'd been out for a while, sniffed his skin, and then looked at the one still standing. A vampire feeds in front of their maker, and sometimes at a feast we feed around others of our kind, with whom our relationships are somewhat less intimate. But to feed in front of other prey felt wrong somehow. I started to tell them to turn their backs, then spun and turned mine instead. My fangs were practically aching, and I plunged them into the left side of the poor bastard's neck. The blood was more satisfying than I know how to explain. It always is. It's like you're always just about to drown, and then along comes a vein, and it's full of wet, delicious air. It was a struggle not to drain him dry on the spot, but I managed to push away from him before he'd die, probably, and wiped the back of my hand across my lips. 
His blood was hot, salted lightning, and all the hair on the back of my neck stood up as it warmed me, and the room felt colder in contrast. I blinked fast a dozen times. I wanted more, of course. We always do. There's no such thing as enough blood. There's only the quantity we get before we can make ourselves stop. Faster. It was a groan. Jennifer was struggling, perhaps to keep herself from slipping into whatever Catatonia had taken the rest of them at first. I spun around, ripped one of my own fangs down three inches of my forearm, and wrapped my opposite hand around the back of a random store employee's zombie's head to press its lips to the wound. A flex of muscle shot blood into its mouth. The usual reaction happened, but I had already shoved him out of the way and grabbed the next closest, and then another, and then another, stepping around and over the filth of thirty or more humans and all the waste their bodies could produce. It became trivial, and then, eventually, boring, as I forced my blood into them one at a time. In the end, I was left standing in the middle of fifty unconscious zombies, minus one, and a tremendous mess. Jennifer was the last one up, but now she was reduced to some drooling, idiotic fraction of herself. I managed to get some of my blood into her mouth. She puked everywhere and passed out. And two minutes later, her eyes fluttered open as I splashed water in her face and patted her on the cheek with one hand. Jennifer yelped and tried to get away, and I let her. She shuddered at the sight of all those people on the ground around her and then looked at me. I had my hands up, palms exposed, in the just-a-friend, unarmed, my bad gesture. I had long since healed completely, though my clothes were a wreck. I... I couldn't imagine where to begin. Are you okay? She snorted at me after long consideration. No. She was back in the land of the living, and that was all I cared about. What made you do that? I had to ask now, while she was shaken and while the blood made her a little bit suggestible for just a few minutes. I thought at first you just decided to give up. I considered it, she said. There's nothing left for me. There's nothing new to learn. There's no grad program and no job future and no career. But then there was this. Something new. Something different. It was an opportunity. She coughed and laughed and shook all at once. It was a chance to save them. And it was a chance to learn something no one else would ever know. She was saying the right things, but she was exhausted, visibly so, and the vigor she'd shown before vanished abruptly in the way it only does for people who've scraped up and consumed the very last of their will to fight. I nodded and then gestured at a shelf. The lady with the phone and you seem to prove your theory correct, but let's get up here just in case. I climbed onto a canopied porch swing, up onto a display of lamps, and clicked my cheeks to summon smiles up there with me. Jennifer offered me her hand, and I pulled her up in one smooth motion. I sat down, tired of beating people senseless, tired of being bitten, a little tired of being alive in a world full of surprises. Smiles settled down with his chin on my knee and panted. I scratched him behind the ears. Jennifer eased into a cross-legged position very carefully. Do you remember anything from the time you were one of them? Jennifer shook her head at something in the distance. I nodded. That was good. Lots less explaining to do if they were going to have a little amnesia. Phone lady rang the customer service button again in the distance, and I shouted, Shut the fuck up. Somebody in here is getting crazy, she said into her phone. You wouldn't believe the thing I just heard someone holler. Well, let me just say Jesus doesn't appreciate that kind of talking. Oh, do I? But you hear all kinds of things even at Christmas. It's just shameful. I don't know why someone who talks like that would even be here. It can't be like they have anyone to buy gifts. You know, you can't talk like that to people, can you? It's just a tragedy. 
The contradiction with her earlier diatribe did not seem to register for her. For people like that, it never does. I sighed heavily, stuck my fingers in my ears, and started watching the clock. The police arrived thirty seconds later, guns drawn, and when the three respondent officers came running around the corner, they stopped short at the sight of so many badly beaten people. I about scared the pants off of them by speaking from our perch above. The lady in electronics, I said, my voice weary. She used some kind of pepper spray thing and flipped out, and now she's over there trying to buy a television. I jerked my thumb that way. Everyone else stampeded and trampled each other senseless. You're going to need a bunch of ambulances. They blinked at me, at Smiles, at Jennifer. Don't ask me, man, I shrugged. People do some crazy stuff. She went bonkers, and then they all did, Jennifer said. Her voice was completely leaden. Groupthink. The cops took off running in that direction, and I turned to Jennifer. I have a favor to ask. The cameras, she said. I know. Let's go. We climbed down and walked into the back. Jennifer unplugged some things back there and did some fiddling, and then she started hitting some little boxes very hard with a big hammer so the pieces of plastic shattered and flew off in all directions. They weren't tapes like I'd seen and used and owned, but she said they were what the video lived on, like little computers. Trust me, she said. I just lied to the cops. I don't want them seeing this any more than you do. It wasn't much, but I had to trust her. I didn't have a lot of choice. Thanks, I finally said. My voice betrayed something, though, and Jennifer got to that can of worms and cracked it open way before I could or would. You're debating whether to kill me, aren't you? She didn't look at me at first, but then she looked up and met my eyes. I'd been thinking about it. I'd wiped Mary Lou's memories, and Herb, and Franklin Not Frank, and Kathy, without a second thought, because it had worked. My attempts to screw around with Jennifer's head earlier had failed, though, and there was something about her mind I could just tell. I would always resist that. I would never be able to wipe her memory, or if I did, I would never be certain it would hold. I couldn't just walk away, having told a human my life story either. Especially not a human with as much fight and nerve as Jennifer had. For all I knew, she was going to wake up tomorrow and decide she was done training to fight zombies because she was ready to start hunting vampires. It would be hard to do with the cops out there reading phone lady her rights, wouldn't it? They were probably looking for us by now. I sighed. It was now or never. You could blame it on the zombies. Say the gas made someone go crazy and attack me. Jennifer's eyes were cold. She was already dead inside in a way. I might be doing her a favor. I couldn't do it, though. The cops had already seen her and talked to her, and anyway, I couldn't let the reward for surviving everything she'd seen and done be to die in the end anyway. I didn't like the idea of a smart, capable, depressed mortal in search of a purpose in life wandering around out there knowing all about me, but I couldn't bring myself to snuff her out either. Maybe it was sentiment or sympathy or something else. Maybe it was a weakness. Maybe it was the formless, forgotten faces of the people I'd seen at Thanksgiving when I was alive. Maybe next time, Jennifer. I tried to smile. It didn't work very well, but it beat everything else I could do. Happy Thanksgiving. Jennifer had chosen to risk everything once tonight when she'd given herself over to the zombie horde in order to take it over. She'd done the same when she saved her college by getting every zombie inside it to home in on her and no one else. Now she'd done it again when she came back here and destroyed the evidence against both of us, even though she knew I was already contemplating whether she could be allowed to live. They say the third time's the charm, and I think this once they were right. Something, some spark of spirit, 
some essential drive to do more than merely survive, sprang up in her eyes, and her expression sagged and softened just a little. Happy Thanksgiving, Withrow. She held out a hand. I took it. We shook once, and we each let go. Do you... She looked around at nothing. How do you do things like this and survive? You must have seen a lot of terrible things. Where did you learn to cope? Can I, uh... Can I talk to you sometime? Can you help me figure this stuff out? I put my hands in my pockets. Nope. Get an analyst. A therapist. Whatever they're called these days. No matter how much it costs. Find a program that'll help pay for it. Get over it like everyone else. I'm not special for having survived a few things, Jennifer. People do it all the time. I shrugged. I'm doing that right now. I haven't left a mortal alive with knowledge of me in a lot of years. Her nostrils flared in a reflexive fear. But that's life. A little risk, and if you're lucky, a little reward, right? So I'm choosing to take this risk by walking away. Don't make me regret it, and don't try to find me, and especially don't disappoint me by going off the deep end. That's all either of us could ever ask. I turned around and walked away, back out onto the sales floor, right past the cops. They tried to ask me questions, but I made them forget I'd ever been there. They had plenty of chaos to clean up, and it was easy simply to erase myself from that jumbled mass of impressions. Jennifer must have flipped a switch somewhere because Christmas music started playing. I picked up one of the Blu-ray players from a big stack that had a flashing orange light on top of it, went outside, and opened the passenger door in my old Firebird so smiles could climb in. I got behind the wheel, and I drove away. I didn't even consider looking back. I wouldn't have known what to do with a friend if I'd had one. A little risk, a little reward. They're all anybody ever gets. And now, for one more edible interlude. Icebox cakes. Icebox cakes are an evolution of the charlotte, or trifle, desserts that date from the 16th or 17th centuries. This 20th century version became popularized in the 1920s as a trendy way to make use of the popular, new, and eponymous kitchen appliance. They can be made complicated or simply, and they can easily be constructed from anything one might find on hand when trapped in a big box retail store. Icebox cakes can be extremely rich, and they are constructed entirely of processed foods, so gods help your guts if you eat a lot of them, but they are quite delicious. One package of vanilla wafers, sandwich cookies, or similar. One tub whipped topping. One 9x13 or similar baking dish. Place a layer of wafers or cookies on the bottom of the pan and cover with a layer of whipped topping between a quarter to a half inch in thickness. Layer more wafers or cookies on top of that, then more whipped topping, and so on until you've used up one or the other. If you wish, you can layer canned pie filling in there too. Cover with plastic wrap or foil and stick somewhere cold for a few hours. If you're in a store like Uber Bargains, then you will find plenty of refrigerated cases you can use. Let it sit for six to eight hours, and the wafers or cookies will absorb the moisture from the whipped topping, becoming enlarged and softening into a texture not entirely unlike a dense cake. Serve with a spoon with plenty of napkins on hand. At one time, the standard was to arrange the cookies to form logs, and then slice them at an angle, or to use highball glasses and layer the ingredients at an angle to make them seem a little more chic. In an emergency, skip the presentation in favor of a few moments of pleasure. As the saying goes, life is short. Eat dessert first. That is the end of Perishables. Thanks for listening. Um, sometime later this week, I'll do another episode where I talk about what I'll read next, and I'll talk a little about stuff that I wish I could change and impressions that I have about Perishables now that it's over. Thanks for listening. 
Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. The theme music is Plucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution License at ccmixter.org.